Well, amen. What a blessing it is to be with you today. Karen and I are so thankful for the privilege of worshiping today here at Hillcrest. And we love your church. We thank God for all that you do for the work of the kingdom. And we love your pastor. I know he's not here today, but I know that you appreciate him deeply. And would you just join me in just expressing to the Lord that God led Jim Locke here to lead you and to serve God in this way. God bless him. We're thankful for all of your ministry team. They were just over in Jacksonville a few weeks ago. They had a, a mini retreat there at our building and, and got an opportunity just to get to know a few of them uh, even more personally. And uh, we're just so thankful for all that God has been doing, is doing, will continue to do through the life and the ministry of Hillcrest Baptist Church. I would invite you today to open the Word of God to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read one verse, verse 40. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. And if you are able, I would ask you to stand in honor of God's precious word as we read from Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. The verse that we're reading is kind of an anchor in the midst of a teaching of Christ. But it's one of the most powerful statements about ministry found within the word of God. It causes all of us to pause and to open up our own inventory of our life before the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that we will hear today what the Spirit says through the precious Word of God into our lives. The king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessings upon your word today. May it speak into our lives. May we respond as you call us to deeper faith, to greater faith, to greater commitment, and more committed service unto you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Clarence and Myra were an elderly couple who attended church. Myra was a member a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Clarence was somewhat marginal. As a matter of fact, he was a, a bootlegger in his younger days. Myra had chronic health issues. As a matter of fact, some people questioned if they were genuine or even if they were pretend just to draw attention unto her. Their attendance in church was sporadic at best, but their critique of the church and their complaints concerning the church and the staff of the church were very consistent. They demanded attention and they would criticize openly when we were not responsive to them. Now it did not matter how much you did, it was never right or never enough. Now, Myra had a surgical procedure, and upon returning home, they called the church demanding a visit from the pastors. Now, as senior pastor, I knew what that meant. They wanted me to come by. Didn't matter who else went. If anyone else went other than me, it really wouldn't be a visit from the pastor of the church. And so I took one of my dear friends who served on staff with me for the visit, and the visit went down like this. When we arrived there, Clarence showed us his new Cadillac, hence maybe still dabbling a little bit in bootlegging, not sure. Myra was sitting in a chair in their den. The house was smoldering hot, no AC on. They had the windows and doors all open, ceiling fans, even a space fan was there in the room to circulate the hot air. 
As we walked into the family room, into the den area, we passed by a counter in the kitchen, and there was this pie sitting on the, the, the top of the counter. It was bright, glowing orange. I thought there may be batteries in that thing, that it was just lit up. And there seemed to be either raisins or some type of nuts that had been sprinkled over the top of the pie. And so we sit down, and Miss Myra asks, do you want any pie? To which, what can I respond except saying, absolutely. So Mr. Clarence gets up, he goes over to cut the pie, and I still remember this, and this is not a ministerial exaggeration, but I really wish that it was. He kind of went like this over the top of the pie, and those raisins or those nuts that were there all of a sudden flew off the top of that pie. Yeah, you're, you're getting the drift of this now. And so he cuts the pie, and he brings it over to where I'm sitting. Now, I'm sitting right beside Miss Myra in a chair. She's in a little recliner, and she's already shown me all of her scars. I really don't know why that's necessary, but it seems like every time a pastor goes and makes a hospital visit, they've got to prove that they actually had surgery, that something happened, and so they're showing the scars, and that's really an image you just can't get out of your mind, I want to tell you. And, and, and now, I'm sitting right beside her about this close, and I'm holding this pie. And she tells us that it is squash pie. Now, when she would say squash, she'd put a little R in it, roll it a little bit, it's squash pie. And, and, and I've got this bright orange pie that I've seen, I know, flies leaving it just a few moments ago in my hand with a fork. And so she's watching me, and I have to eat this pie. Well, my friend who is there with me is old Mr. Clarence who had vision trouble, and, and he's with him over there. And so I start eating this squash pie. And every bite that I took, oh, my goodness, it just got bigger and bigger in your mouth. I mean, you seemed like you could chew forever, and you couldn't even swallow it hardly. The pie was absolutely awful. It tasted awful. I never had squash pie in my life, but I was having it on this day. So finally, I finished this piece of pie, and much to her satisfaction, and she looks and she says, would you like another piece of pie? <laughs> to which I tell her, oh, Miss Myra, I just don't think I could eat another piece. It was the most filling piece of pie I think I've ever had in my life. Now, I look over at my friend, the other pastor who is with me, and this is a guy that eats meat and potatoes only. I mean, he doesn't eat anything green, doesn't eat any vegetables. I mean, he's just a purely meat and potato guy. And he's sitting there with an empty plate with his fork on it, just holding it, smiling. And I'm thinking, what did he do? I know that he has not eaten that pie. Did he put it under the couch? Did he stick it down maybe between the cushions? I mean, I couldn't figure it out. So finally, we finished the, the, the time of visit, and we hold hands, we pray, and as we're walking out, we get in the car, and I said, man, I know that you did not eat that pie. Tell me, what in the world did you do to make that pie disappear? And he does this. He reaches down inside the pocket of his coat, and he pulls out that squash pie, to which he proudly announced, I will gladly pay a dry cleaning bill any day of the week rather than eat that squash pie. Now this morning, I wanna challenge you in what I might call squash pie ministry. For when we read this passage today, the juxtaposition of the scripture is about what is and what is to come. It's referring to the day of judgment when we stand before our Lord 
And we give an account for our life, for our faithfulness, for our, our obedience unto him. And we see a quick contrast of those who did and those who didn't, those who served and those who didn't serve, those who understood ministry and those who neglected ministry in every way. And the anchor of this passage is a strong statement from Christ when he says, assuredly, I say to you, I say to you, I say to the church, I say to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it even to me. Now this verse challenges us to the very core of ministry existence. It challenges us in the very reason why we serve. Because ministry is never easy or convenient. It's time consuming. It's resource draining. It's physically tiring and often very limited in results. And unfortunately, even within the church today, our measurement of ministry follows a corporate model. We invest and we expect a return. And if the return isn't evident, then maybe we don't need to invest and we can stop doing that type of ministry. Or a business model where everything is measured by failure or success. Oh, we do this and we seem to succeed. We do this and all that we can see is just failure. There doesn't seem to be any type of implications of ministry back to us. There's no recognition, there's no response, there's no acknowledgement. But yet when we read the word of God, we're able to see that ministry will be messy and ministry will be complicated and ministry will be stressful. Ministry requires surrender and sacrifice in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ministry is carried out in brokenness, in hurt, in pain, in disappointment, in crisis, and even in times of struggle. You see, ministry sees people at their worst and most vulnerable moments. Ministry takes you out of your comfort zone. And ministry stretches the limits of your commitment. It pushes your obedience to God and his word. Ministry engages those who are the forsaken and the forgotten and the forfeited around you. Ministry touches those who have been discarded and devalued. Ministry reaches out to the marginalized and to the misunderstood, the, the neglected and even the negated that are found within our world. They are not missed in biblical ministry. Ministry is not limited to appointments, but as you go, you serve in Jesus' name. Ministry, biblical ministry is multi-generational and multicultural and multilingual and multi-ethnic. And Jesus calls us to minister in his name. Notice in the text, to the hungry, to the thirsty, to the stranger, to the naked, to the sick, and to the imprisoned. He 
never establishes a boundary on the extent of ministry. And so here within this text today, we are standing before an eternal God, the God who created me and you and everyone who is around us, the God who sent his one and only son to suffer and die upon a cross to take on the sins of the whole world, the God who established his church, who said the gates of hell will not prevail against us, and he has sent us out with the command to love our neighbor as ourselves, and with the commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And now we are standing before this eternal, sovereign, holy, righteous God, and he is judging us based on our commitment to him. And so I pay attention to this text, as I know you do, because it is a very clearly defined and outlined description of the expectation that Christ has of his church and of his people to honor and glorify him. So when we read this text, we're able to see that ministry is having. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you. It's very personal, isn't it? And we can't say, well, that's what he should have done or she should have done. We can't say that wasn't our assignment. That was the assignment of another church. We'll handle this. They can handle that. No, Ministry is about having, having a desire to serve, having a willingness to go, having a readiness to release your blessings upon the downtrodden, upon the discouraged, even upon the defeated that we see every day around us within the vineyards of ministry where God has planted our churches and planted our lives to serve him. Isn't it interesting that when you see a descriptive of the very ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, it has everything to do with ministry. In Matthew 9, it says Jesus went about the cities and villages. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He was healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered. They were like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest, the fields of ministry, they are plentiful, but the laborers, those who have a desire to minister, they are few. Pray ye therefore to the Lord of the harvest, he will send out laborers into his harvest. We look at the very ministry of Christ. He touched those who were hurting. He healed those who were sick. He gave hope to those who were hopeless. 
He set free those who were imprisoned by the world, not necessarily physical imprisonment. Indeed, it is part of that, but lives that are imprisoned by the passions of this world, by the evil one himself, he set them free. And so Jesus says to us that we too are called to have that same desire, the very heart, the very hands, the very feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, the very mind of Christ himself, and to be moved with with compassion. Do you have that type of desire as you see Pensacola today? Do you have that type of desire as you see the call to the nations today? The word compassion is a very interesting word. It refers to the innermost being of the person It's almost where everything, your organs inside, begin to shake because you see the hurt and you see the pain and you see the difficulty of another person's life and you cannot turn away, you cannot ignore it, you cannot pass by it. You are moved and you must respond. You must act because you have a desire to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, there have been those who have described This very understanding of compassion, as if you see that, it's almost like someone just punches you in the stomach. I mean, you're just, you're just, you just can't, I mean, it just takes your breath. You can't ignore it. You must do something in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, isn't it interesting when we read this passage? Does Jesus talk to people? They saw the same people that were sick and naked and hungry and thirsty, saw the same people that were in prison. Some responded and some didn't. Some had compassion growing out of their relationship with Christ while others ignored. Ministry is having. Do you have today that desire? Do you have today to take what you learn in God's word, what you learn in your life group classes, what you learn in worship, and you apply it? It isn't just encapsulated in the walls of a building, but yet we go and we serve and we do in Jesus' name. There's an individual who was in our church. His name was Roy Nash. Mr. Nash was a widower. His wife had passed away some 20 years prior to this. He would give his testimony often so clearly about his love for Jesus Christ, a faithful, faithful man in the Lord. Mr. Nash was 99 years old. He wanted to live to be 100, but he didn't. He died in his 99th year. Mr. Nash bought a new car every year. He said, what am I going to do with my money? <laughs> so he just go by, and he drove it. That's even the scarier part of it at 99 years old. And I'm not talking about some big tank car. I'm talking about sports cars. I mean, he had the coolest car in the parking lot, Mr. Nash, 90-something years old, pulling up with his top down on his vehicle, you know, just smiling, driving away, you know. He said, I always buy green bananas. I don't buy green bananas. He said, I don't know if I'll make it to time for them to ripen, you know. I mean, that was just the kind of guy he was. So Mr. Nash in the hospital, and I go by to visit him. Had a great visit, and we prayed, and we're about to walk out the door, and Mr. Nash uh, said, Pastor, could you come back over here? And so I, I walked back over to the bed, and, 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 he, and he motioned me to come down. He whispered in my ear, and what he whispered in my ear, he said, he said, Pastor, he said, all night long, he said, I have just been tossing and turning and rolling around. He said, my pajamas are just out of sorts. 
He said, could you fix my pajamas for me? Well, at that point, you got to decide. Do you have a heart to serve or do you call a nurse? And so I said, Mr. Nash, what do I need to do? <laughs> and so we did minister to him. That was important to him at that moment. You see, ministry is about having. It's about having. But we also see within this text that ministry is about doing. Notice the next part of that phrase. You did it to one of the least of these, my brethren. You did it. James 1.22 says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Can we follow Christ without doing ministry? I mean, can we truly say that I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and I go day after day, month after month, even year after year without doing anything in the name of Jesus Christ? That's at the very heart of this teaching where there were those who said, Lord, if we would have known it was you who was hungry, if it was you who was thirsty, if it was you who was naked, if it was you who was sick, Lord, if we would have seen you in prison, we would have moved heaven and earth to respond. And Jesus says, that's the very point, because when you do it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. You've been faithful in Jesus' name because ministry is doing. There was a ladies' class, a small group, and they had a lesson about doing ministry. And this ladies' class, after going through the lesson, they just looked at each other and they said, we've got to respond to this passage as a class. And what the passage dealt with was dealing with individuals who maybe were of a different place in life than you were. Maybe they didn't have the resources that you have. Maybe the opportunities that are in your life are not found in that person's life. Just a real challenge to see beyond themselves and to love others in the name of Jesus Christ. So they begin praying, Lord, lead us. Lead us as a class to that person you want us to minister to. Well, be careful how you pray and what you pray because God will lead you. And he led them to a lady who lived in the community. She was in a dilapidated mobile home. Inside the home was just in total disarray. She had some physical limitations, some mental limitations, social limitations. But these ladies just started loving on her, teaching her skills and helping her. Before long, had husbands out there doing work around the yard and around the, the mobile home to kind of raise it up to a different level. Soon, she came to church and was in their class and just surrounded, never received this kind of love, never received this kind of care in her life. Before long, she's in the service on a Sunday morning, and she's walking the aisle, and she's giving her life unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, knowing how all of that started in that class, I mean, you know, you just wanted to kind of applaud and figure, well, more than likely, somebody's going to write a big article about this, and we're going, to, we're going to get some kind of award. I mean, after all, look at what we've done as a church. But that was just the beginning of this story. God always has a second chapter when we minister in his name and even beyond. There was a man who lived in the community. Well, I say he lived in the community. We weren't sure. He was just a, a wanderer. 
We thought he was a homeless man. He just wandered around town. He had on his pair of overalls, and, and under the overalls, he had on a flannel shirt and then a thermal shirt under that. No matter what time of the year it was, summer or winter, that's how he always dressed. He's kind of a tall guy, about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, had a bad hip, and so when he'd walk, he would limp. And he's always unshaven, his hair is kind of unkempt, and so you'd look at him, he's a little scary, to be honest. And uh, he always had, a, a right here in the front bib of his overalls, a paper sack, and he'd have the, this whiskey bottle stuck down in there. And he'd just see him. You'd see him, you know, behind this store and this alley. You'd see him in different places around town. And I'd seen him for a number of years, but I had never at one time even stopped <laughs> to find out anything about this man's life. So the secretary calls into my office and she says, uh, that man who wanders around town, he's here and he wants to see you. Oh my goodness. I mean, it felt like about a million pounds had just fell on my head and on my back. I mean, I, I, I was just a mess. By the time I got to him, I was so beat up and so broken by the Holy Spirit of God that here's a man who lives in our town, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church, and he had to come to me rather than me going to him. And so when I got there, I mean, I was just almost weeping when I began the conversation with him. I introduced myself. I said, my name's Tommy. He said, my name is Sylvie. I said, well, Sylvie, man, I, I just want you to know I'm so glad to get the opportunity to meet you today. And he said, well, I got a question I want to ask you. And I said, what's that, Sylvie? He said, he said what you done to my wife? And I want to tell you, that's a little scary question to ask a pastor <laughs> any day of the week. <laughs> and I said, whoa, I said, what are you talking about? And he said, she's been coming to church here. And boy, God just started connecting all the dots because that lady that that Sunday school class was ministering to was his wife. No one, no one had connected the dots to this until that moment. And he said, I don't know what you've done to her. He said, but I want it. And I said, Sylvia, let me tell you what's happened. And I shared with him about her salvation experience and how she's given her life to Christ. And he said, I want to do that. And I'm like, man, this is one of the most awesome moments that you just pray for and hope for in ministry that God brought in, in this situation. And Sylvia, as he walked in, smelled awful. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how bad the body odor was. But the whiskey was just about as, as, as bad. And so there was kind of a tension between the whiskey odor and the body odor. And I said, Sylvia, this is what your wife did. And we shared the word of God with him and how to be saved. And Sylvia said, oh, I want to do that. And so we knelt down there in that foyer of the church. And I helped him down. We knelt down beside him. We, we talked. We prayed. And, and Sylvia just poured out his heart unto the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if he'd ever even been in church before in his life. He didn't know church words. He just knew that he had done things wrong. And he wanted to tell Jesus he was sorry. And he just poured out genuinely his heart in repentance unto Christ. Confessed Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And, and, and he grabbed hold of me and he hugged me. He was just shaking. He was just so excited about this moment. And that awful smell that was there just gave way to the sweet-smelling savor of God's salvation upon his life. I said, Sylvie, this is what you need to do. And I encouraged him to come to church Sunday morning Come forward. I, I explained to him I'm going to preach and I'm going to stand down front. And when I do, and I'm going to, I'm going to see you and I'm going to put my hand right toward you, Sylvie. And when I do, you come walking forward. He said, I'll be there. He couldn't say Tommy. He would say Tommy. He said, I'll be there, Brother Tommy. 
So he left. Sunday morning came. We had multiple services like most churches do. He wasn't there for the service. And then got in the last service, and, uh, you know, I'd kind of almost put it out of my mind. I mean, you know, he's not going to be there, but I was seated in such a place I could kind of see the whole room. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, we had, we had multiple doors all the way across the back, and two of those doors went, and there stood Sylvie Holland. I was like, praise be unto the Lord Jesus Christ that he's here. But God has a sense of humor. Sylvie started walking forward. And as he did, you could just see people elbowing each other and pointing, and you could read their lips, there's that man, there's that man. They were just saying it row after row after row after row of the cross of church as he was walking forward. And then Sylvie just stopped. Now, why he stopped there could only be because this is where God wanted him to stop. And I thought to myself, we're really about to see right now if we are who we say we are as a church. Because where God stopped Sylvie that morning was with three ladies they had furs, they had diamonds, they had vehicles that Sylvie could not even pronounce the name of those cars. They had enough wealth between them that they could fund a third world nation, those three ladies seated right there. And that's where God stopped Sylvie on that Sunday morning. And I thought, oh, please, Lord. And two of those ladies stepped out into the aisle, and they put Sylvie in there between them. They held up the words that we were singing. Sylvie couldn't read. But he had his head thrown back. He was just singing away. I'd love to have heard what he was saying, you know, while we were singing those praise hymns. And I got up to preach, and I'm like, this is a scripture. Okay, let me go to the invitation. I mean, it's just like, let's get to this. I mean, this is, this is too good. We can't miss this. And so I stepped down there, and Sylvie came walking forward during that invitation. Got there, and we prayed, and I sat him down and introduced other people, kind of saved Sylvie to last. You know, pastors have a little draft, you know, flair for dramatic, want to make sure that we really caught what this moment was all about. And I stood Sylvie up in front of that church, and I said, this is Sylvie Holland. And today, Sylvie has come to receive Jesus as his Lord and as his Savior, and to publicly profess that, and to be baptized, and to be a member of this church. Now, I've been in Baptist churches all my life. I grew up in a Baptist church, and uh, I'm Baptist by choice, and I'm saved by the grace of God through faith in him. And, and Baptists don't know what to do. I mean, you know, we're just, we're kind of a peculiar people. We, we're not sure if we can clap. You know, we don't know if we can, we can like, you know, kind of raise a hand like this or like this or like this. You know, some people just go full touchdown Jesus. I mean, we just don't know. We don't know what to do. I mean, we really don't, you know. But I want to tell you, when I made that statement that day, that place erupted. There was shouting. People were lifting their hands. They were clapping. I mean, Sylvie, he, he thought he was a rock star. He's lying there like, man, you know, if I'd known this, I'd have come last week. I mean, you know, people, they're just going crazy over this decision for Sylvie Holland on that day. And it all started because God pricked the hearts of a few ladies in a Sunday school class to understand that ministry is about doing doing when you have done it to the least of these my brethren and then quickly to the last part ministry is about having ministry is about doing but ministry is also about being because Jesus concludes that teaching by saying you did it to me being in his presence, following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you did it to me. Being salt, being light, being the church, being the genuine, authentic, 
expression of the Lord Jesus Christ being willing to go the second mile and understanding that as we go and as we are in his presence, we are doing it in his name for his glory and for his glory alone, not for the applause of man, not for the recognition of others, not for any other reason except that that is who Christ has called us to be. And ministry is about being, being. You did it unto me. And there were two different groups of people who heard this teaching. Both groups were shocked. (laughs) One group was shocked because they'd just been doing it all along. And they had no idea or concept that this was just being faithful to who Christ had called them to be. The other group, on the other hand, did not do these things. And as much as you did it not to one of these, at least he's my brethren, verse 45, you did it not unto me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Ministry is about being. It's about being the expression of Christ. It's about being the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about being faithful to Christ. It's about being who Christ is within our life, very truly expressed in how we love others as Christ himself loved them and gave himself for Ministry is about being. You know, this week we're going to be gathering with family. And sometimes the hardest place to minister is in your own family, isn't it? Oh, we can quickly get on a plane and go to another part of the world and minister. But sometimes the Lord wants us to be ministering to those that are most precious to us, to those in our own families, being the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. My mom went home to be with the Lord a few years ago. I'm going to be traveling home after we leave here to be with my family. And boys, in times like that, you miss so much those people. My mom was the center of everything. She loved to cook. She loved to plan. She loved to just have fun. And we would all gather, and it was just, just amazing times. She was right at the center of it all. But then things started happening with my mom. My dad has macular degeneration, and so she was the person who drove for him. And they would get to a stop sign, and she would just sit there because she, she would lose perspective. Do I turn left? Do I turn right? Do I go straight? And, and she would just, just start crying because she, she just couldn't process that. She would get it home, and she would take things down out of the shelves, and she would put it on the table as she had so many times, and now everything's sitting there, and, and she just she has no clue even what to do. Initially, they called it dementia, and then ultimately it was diagnosed as Alzheimer's. My dad is a retired United States Marine, fought in the Korean War, And he was determined that this was now his battle. This was his fight. He said, till death do we part. And he was all in. 
We did everything we could do to bring in nurses and outside care, but my dad was determined to keep her at home through this entire journey. And it was a journey to go from just occasionally being able to recognize who her family was to ultimately not even be able to call anyone's name to finally just kind of getting to that total blank stare until ultimately she just determined somehow in her own mind that she couldn't walk anymore and she just became bedridden until her death. The summer before my mom passed away, we went home to visit and... um, my dad was a deacon in the church. My mom played the organ, the little Hammond organ that they had there, and they had not been able to go now for a number of years. And I just said to my dad I said, on Saturday, I said, Dad, why don't we try to get Mom up in the morning and go to church? And he kind of looked at me like, man, you know, you, no. I said, well, I, I know. I said, I'm not, I'm not saying that you've done anything right or wrong. I mean, you've taught me more about what it means to be a man and to be a husband and what you're doing for my mom than I've ever seen in anything else, Dad. I mean, you're my hero in every way for how you've loved our mother and how you've cared for her. I said, but I don't know what it is. Just for some reason, I just feel like we need to do this. And so ultimately he said, let's try. So we got up real early in the morning. You know, you know, with, with Alzheimer's, you can't rush. They've got their own schedule, and you just kind of get in the flow, and whatever it is, that's what it is, because they're, they're in their world, and they're at peace in that world. Everybody else is in chaos, but they're in peace where they are. So we finally got her dressed. We got her out to the car. We made our way to church. I grew up in a little small country church up in northwest Alabama in Green Hill, Alabama, two sets of pews in the church, the center aisle. And so we, we walked in just about the time that Everything was getting ready to start. We sat on the very back. I was on this side, my mom in the center, my dad here. And that organ started playing. That's that same organ she played through the years. And when it did, my mom looked up. And I'm like, what is going on here? And, and, and that, that uncertain, unclear look in her eyes just kind of found a little focus at that moment. And I'm just sitting there like, this is, this is, this is just amazing. And then the music pastor got up, and and the first hymn that they sang that morning was, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. And when he started singing, my mom, who had not put two words together, who could not even intelligently put a sentence structure together, she began singing. And she sang every word of every hymn that they sang in church on that Sunday morning. Then the preacher got up. I thought, boy, this is really going to be good. And as soon as he started preaching, she was gone. I'm like, mom, give the preacher some love. I mean, you know, (laughs) help us out here a little bit. But boy, I want to tell you, and God did something so amazing. Just being in his presence My father, who was committed to having and doing, God gave him a being moment right there. Because in that moment, we realized something that that we knew in our heart, that we read in the Word, but but to experience it in the presence of God was so amazing. And it is this, that the world is going to take away from people. It just strips us away. And, and Alzheimer's does just that. It strips piece by piece. It takes away emotionally and physically, verbally, mentally, 
relationally, financially, socially. It just strips a person's life away. But on that morning, we were reminded that there's one thing that this world can't touch, and that is the spiritual. Our relationship with Jesus Christ. And being in his presence on that day was undoubtedly one of the greatest moments of ministry that I think I've ever had in my life. Inasmuch, I say to you, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it 